Yes, it all started out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. Now it's turned out to be quite a, a quite a great spirit of adventure, don't you think? Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week we'll, we will be watching The Sensorites. Ooh. Ooh. Sensorites debuted June 20th, happy birthday Caleb, 1964, to... August 1st, 1964. It was directed by Mervyn Penfield and Frank Cox. Was written by Peter R. Newman. What are you, three? <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yes. What did you expect me to say? And produced by Verity Lambert. <laughs> Once again, Caleb bringing just a level of maturity we've all come to expect. Hey, this is an adult show for many reasons. <laughs> Yes, obviously. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Mac's exasperated face right now. Yeah, it's an exasperated face that I've maintained for over 20 years now. <laughs> okay, so, Caleb, this is the first in a long line of predicaments for you, because so many of the episode titles are just the name of the enemy, but... Given what you know about Doctor Who, given how the last episode ended, and given the title, The Sensorites, what do you predict this episode is going to be about? I predict that this is a, uh, it's a metaphorical episode where they go on distinct adventures with uh, personifications of the five senses. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be like a smelly and see and tasty and uh oh god what are the senses touchy that's gonna be a weird one well caleb you've had a lot of predictions on this show some of them were 50 50 some of them were fairly accurate this one i think is your first zero (laughs) percent damn it because it has been a long time since i've watched it but i did read just like the tiny little Not like detailed synopsis, but the tiny little plot summary at the very top of the Doctor Who wiki just to remind myself, oh, right, that's what this episode's about. And uh, yeah, you're just just a scotch off base. (laughs) Uh, 100% scotch off base. 100% scotch off base. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? It's just the sensor, right? It's got to be with the the senses, right? I thought maybe you'd make some sort of... Uh, toothpaste joke, since it sounds like a brand of toothpaste. Uh, see, you're expecting way too highbrow of a joke from me. Yeah, again, past 20 years. Well, I think that's enough yammering on and pointing out just how uncreative and stupid Caleb is. And with that, we'll see you all in the future. Let's get going.
And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was a week for us. Time's funny like that. On the money. Exactly. Seven days. We're so fucking good at this. That's what you call running a tight ship. (laughs) But yes, a couple of uh, pieces of trivia before we start. Uh, This is the first time that the Doctor and, and Susan's home planet was described in detail. This is... The first time that the TARDIS materializes on a ship or other moving vehicle. Uh, This is also the first depiction of a costume change for the Doctor. Usually the Doctor has like a consistent costume throughout all of his stories. um, But it is not uncommon for him to occasionally, not completely change, but like have a shift in his costume. And we'll find later that his coat gets ripped and he replaces it with a cloak. And that becomes his like his new... His new costume. Uh, so, Caleb, overall, what did you think of the Sensorites? Overall, um, this is probably my least favorite of the newer, really old episodes. Does that make sense? There's a distinction now between like when the show had a budget and when it didn't. Would you say everything after Marco Polo or everything after Edge of Destruction is where that line is? Well, I can't, I'm going to say after Edge of Destruction because I, I I don't know what. I, I will say from just like the, from what screenshots are available from like shots of the set, it looks like, it looks like we were kind of gypped in terms of episodes we lost because it looks like the, the sets for Marco Polo were fucking gorgeous. So disappointing. Uh, so yeah, so, um, okay, well, if I'm considering Marco Polo, it's a notch above Marco Polo, but just barely. Just barely, okay. I really did not like Marco Polo, though, so. Yeah, Marco Polo's kind of making its way lower and lower on my ranking list. Um, I didn't particularly care for it either, but we're not here to talk about Marco Polo, we're here to talk about the Sensorites. So, you thought it was... The least favorite of the new, of the newer. Yeah, um, still better than like an unearthly child, and I would say the Daleks probably, but notably, notably worse than the Keys of Marinus and the ASX. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, not not to give away because I usually give my ranking at the very end, but since we're on the subject, yeah, um, I have it as I have it as third. I think it's almost basically in the exact same spot as you are, because I have Keys of Marinus, Aztecs, Sensorites, Marco Polo. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, get right into it, shall we? Yeah, let's just let's t- dig into it. Let's let's just fucking go. Let's just let's just tear this thing apart, man. Just <laughs> piece by piece. We'll start with episode one, Strangers in Space. Uh, you can also tell like later in the descriptions where I'm really like, ah, uh, yeah, it's all coming together. This happens. <laughs> Uh, This one's kind of long, though, so brace yourselves. The travelers find that the TARDIS has landed inside of another spaceship. The crew is seemingly dead until one of them starts moving. After Ian and the Doctor help revive the two crew members, they reveal themselves as Maitland and Carol, and they are from the 28th century. They are are seemingly unperturbed by the travelers saying they are from the 20th century. (laughs) Maitland and Carol explain that they are being held hostage by a mysterious alien race called the Sensorites. These creatures overwhelm their emotions and take control of their minds, but they do not make any effort to kill the crew for some reason. As this is explained, a mysterious creature steals the lock from the TARDIS door. Unable to escape, the Sensorites put the ship on a crash course for the planet, but it is only an attempt to scare the crew. Afterwards, Barbara and Susan explore the ship looking for water, 
but their way back is cut off by a mysterious man, presumably John, a member of the crew who was overwhelmed by the Sensorites. The episode ends with the Sensorites arriving on the ship and one of them peering through the bridge window. There was there was a, a line of dialogue at, at the very, very beginning when they're still in the TARDIS. They're like reflecting on all the adventures that they've had so far. And they talk about how like it all just it started out as they were curious about what was going on in this junkyard. And now they've gone on to on so many spectacular adventures. They make the a comment how they've all changed, uh, which I, I would agree with. And uh, uh, Barbara says, we've all changed. And Susan says, have I? And me and Barbara said the exact opposite thing at the exact same time because <laughs> she was like, yes, of course you have. I was like, no, no, you haven't. Not not even a little bit. Ian, Barbara and the doctor. Yes. Clear, obvious uh, character development. Susan. No, she's the exact same as she was in episode one. I don't know. I think I think there's something different about her. Name one. Her volume has gone down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have. I have a note about that later, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> which I don't know if that's a character trait or not, but I noticed. <laughs> well, she kept busting all the mics, so she had to turn down the volume eventually. I, the director was like, Carol, you're doing great. Let's do it again, but make it like a four. We need you at like a four. You're at like a 27 right now. You need to bring it down a couple notches. Just getting ahead of ourselves, but I don't think there is a moment where Susan like really freaks out in this episode. There, yeah. Again, I'll, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll but, talk about that. We'll but, about uh, but slight spoiler. Uh, no, this is the first episode in which Susan doesn't have a freak out. But uh, we'll get, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was rough for me. I watched this episode, and it was about three days before I watched another one. Yeah, we were talking about this before, like earlier today, and you said you had to force your way through it. And honestly, I kind of did too. I watched them two episodes at a time. I remember getting to the end of the second episode, and I was like, please, God, get better. Because uh, the first two episodes was were, were pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. There, there was a moment uh, near the beginning of the episode where Susan keeps suggesting that, hey... This place is fucking creepy. Let's leave. And the doctor keeps telling her, "No, no, 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 no. Let's we're not we're not leaving yet. We're not leaving yet." Until he starts talking out loud and convinces himself that, "Okay, it's time to go. Let's let's leave." <laughs> so I made the note of Susan, "I think we should go back to the ship, doctor." "No, no, not until it's my idea." <laughs> okay, but yeah. And now that you bring it up, I do remember that happening cuz uh <laughs> Because Susan's like, we should leave. And I was like, finally, someone has a good idea immediately and not 20 minutes into the episode. And then the doctor, because I feel like he did something like this in the Aztecs too, where he was like, well, don't be, don't be ridiculous. And then two minutes later, he's like, well, of course we should do that. Grant, I do like the fact that, and you know, at first they were like, hey, whatever's going on here isn't our problem. It's time to leave. Yeah. I do appreciate that uh, in the sense of, you know, they weren't doing it before. <laughs> As you noted, the mysterious figure is, like, removing the lock from the TARDIS. I want to know who the fuck was in charge of sound design for this episode, and I want to slap them across the face. Because it would be just, like, them having a normal conversation with the crew members, and then a hard cut to a close-up of uh, 
the of the lock of the TARDIS and have like the hand come and it'll just be like and cut back and it's like so you say that the ship runs on like it's just you know that joke where it's like this person's running at this at this other and it's like really intense music and then it cuts to the other person and they're like they're just kind of like bored and there's no music and then it cuts to them and it like cuts back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth Mm -hmm. it's like that only played serious like it because it cuts to the lock a couple of times and this happens throughout their entire time when they're still on the ship spoilers they get off the ship anytime it like cuts to the sensorites it has just the most dramatic sci-fi music imaginable and then it cuts back to the humans and they're just standing around talking (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, I didn't take note of um when I had the thought, but I do remember earlier in the episodes watching it and being like, I'm so fucking glad I'm not wearing headphones watching this. Because <laughs> I'd have my phone like four inches from my face and be like, I can't hear it. Turn the volume all the way up and then just get blasted with music or some crazy sound. Yeah. Also, on the note, on the note of the, <laughs> the log of being stolen, I know, I know, I know. I should suspend my belief. I know the show was made in the 60s. I am pretty sure there's a tracking shot in the first episode where they are like maybe four feet from the TARDIS. Oh, yeah. Like, no, this, this is a fun. This is all happening like four feet away from them <laughs> because the bridge is not big. The bridge of the ship that they're currently on is is not big. Because Susan even makes a remark like, well, it's happening. She's like, is something burning? And it's really funny because I'm not sure if you caught it, but I definitely did at some point. They're clearly about to go over to the TARDIS. Like, okay, it's time for us to go. William Hartnell turned and looked towards the TARDIS. Um, and but then it like cut real quick and it show, <laughs> and it showed the hand taking away the lock. Um <laughs> because he wasn't supposed to turn yet. But they had that hard cut and like, no, no, god damn it, Bill. <laughs> Bill, we got we had one take. <laughs> This is a one-take show. I mean, they only had so much budget, like, for so much reel and so much time in the studio that, yeah, they only had, like, we have, we can make three takes. We can do three cuts in this episode. So we have to be able to use them when we really need to. (laughs) That's, That's why you get so many lines that are flubbed or people, like, forget what they're, forget what they're saying and, like, they stumble on their lines that's why that's in there is because there was probably three other instances where they just, I'm sorry, what's my line? Yeah. <laughs> so they obviously spent too much of the budget on the weird masks for the sensor. Sensorites. Uh, it's been a couple of days since the last time I watched the last Sensorite episode. I still can't tell you whether I like their design or not. I don't, I don't hate their design. I just, if I had to choose between the budget being on more takes and the sensory max, I would have chosen takes, I think. Yeah. My big criticism of this episode, and the next episode for that matter, I feel like this ep- this arc is obviously a big step backwards. Because this pacing is exactly like the pacing in the early episodes. When I was going to write my little summary thing, I was like, do they spend this whole episode on the bridge of the ship? And oh my god, they do. They spend like 80% of the episode standing still. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a step backwards. Uh, so yeah, so not a good episode. The the hope that I was filled with between uh, Keys of Marinus and the Aztecs kind of starting to dwindle down a little bit. Those might have been <laughs> flukes. 
<laughs> yeah, they just got lucky. One thing I will say is um, one of my favorite types of horror. I'm not like a horror guy. I'm very, very picky when it comes to horror. But like one of my favorite things, one of the things I find most intimidating and is usually the subject of many of my nightmares is I'm not particularly claustrophobic, but the idea of being trapped somewhere with something just freaks me the fuck out. I haven't played Alien Isolation yet, but I know that I'm going to hate it. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's all that game is. It's <laughs> Yeah. It's almost, it seemed at first like that's the direction that this episode was going. Because, like, they know that the Sensorites are here now. And they're trapped on this ship with really no way of escape. That right there is like, okay, okay. You can do something with this. Okay, cool. This this could this can be good. They don't, but like they could have. <laughs> there was just one like this is the most nitpick of nitpicks, but when the sensorite ship arrived, they could hear this high-pitched like noise that like indicated that the sensorite ship was arriving and it was killing me for two reasons. One, because it was a really, really fucking annoying sound. And two, because sound doesn't travel in space and they shouldn't be able to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. Also, that's the moment where I was like, I'm so glad I'm not wearing headphones right now. <laughs> yes. It, it was right up there with uh, Ian's uh, countdown to execution in the Keys of Marinus in terms of just like hands over ears, dear God, make it stop kind of noises. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was horrible because they do it once in this episode and they do it multiple times in episode two, right? I'm pretty sure because there's an episode two where I was like, oh, man, I'm really glad I'm out. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. We'll have to we'll have to figure out when you do your recap. Well, yeah. Any other notes on um, what's this episode called? Strangers in Space? Uh, nope. All right. Great. Now, moving on to episode two. The Sensorite's appearance paralyzes Maitland and Karen and Carol. And the doctor tries to cajole them into reacting. Meanwhile, John appears to be talking to the sensorites, and Susan and Barbara try to telepathically send them a message defying them. The plan works, and it puts the sensorites in notable pain. Ian and the others find Barb, Susan, and John, and take them to another part of the ship to recover. John mentions the dreams of avarice before passing out, and Ian thinks that John discovered something about the planet that the sensorites want to keep hidden. After some investigating, the doctor discovers the planet is rich with the rare metal, I'm going to butcher this, molybdenum. <laughs> molybdenum. <laughs> After another psychic attack, Susan and Barbara find the sensorites and spend about half the episode slowly walking away from them. Once they have walked the aliens out of the main part of the ship, they send Susan a message telling her to come with them to the planet or all the others will be killed. Oh, I wrote Susan there, but I meant Ian and Barbara find the sensorites. <laughs> so... Uh, first note, uh, the sensorite that's like outside and looking in to the ship at the beginning of this episode is definitely a different sensorite than the one at the end of episode one. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> for lack of a better word, they have two different hairstyles. Like one of them, was, like their hair was just like a little bit crazier than the one in the second episode. Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that's like the most nitpicky of nitpicks, but still something I noticed. 
I remember kind of thinking that because I thought it was even more than that because I thought uh, I thought the nose was almost more defined on the first episode Sensorite, whereas like I don't know the other Sensorites have like this like smooshy non face. I I I distinctly remember like a nose. Maybe I have to go back and check that though. I'm also an idiot and I remember things incorrectly. So who knows? But uh, I would describe this episode as the walking backwards slowly episode. <laughs> Good God, yes. <laughs> oh god that scene went on for fucking ever back to classic who pacing uh, but b- before before we get to that um <laughs> they're like uh psychically projecting out i defy you or whatever to the sensorites and like it hurts the sensorites uh susan passes out immediately afterwards and i have the note that susan thought too hard and then passed out That'll teach her for having an independent thought. (laughs) (laughs) Relevant in the next episode. Yes. And, but she, she eventually comes to, and the doctor uh, says that that was a very foolish thing of her to do. The only reason that she wasn't overwhelmed by the sensorites is because, and quote, because you were strong willed and without fear, they did not harm you. And I was like, what fucking Susan are you talking to? (laughs) <laughs> because the Susan I know is constantly filled with fear. I have the bleeding eardrums to prove it. <laughs> yeah, I really it's hard to even like describe what happens in this episode because I don't feel like anything happens. The only thing that really happens is like, oh yeah, the plant has like a super rare material that humans probably want to use. Yeah, there's there's really nothing that happens in this episode. I do speaking of discovering that material, um, there was uh, a moment that kind of a callback to an unearthly child. I don't know. Um, but like Ian is looking at this at this graph that like shows all the all the elements of this readout. And he's like super fascinated and showed Ian being a science teacher for a moment, which I really appreciated. Um, and Susan comes over and says, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's this. It shows all the elements. And she's like, oh, right. And then she walks away. <laughs> and I was and I kind of liked that moment because because that's kind of just what happened in Ian's science class. Susan doesn't give a fuck about this primitive science. She's like, oh, yeah, that's OK. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I played with those when I was three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a moment where the end of the first episode was the sensorites arrived. The sensorites um, are now on the ship and then like over halfway through this episode they're like the sensorites they're here they're on the ship and i was like yeah we know they came in the cargo bay did i miss something or am i like making up that line because i could have sworn that it was already established the sensorites were already on the ship no, they, they do say that. I think it's Ian that says that. He's like, they're on this ship. I was like, but we all, we already know that, don't we? Or at the very least, we already know that like, they're here. Yeah, I was so, I was very confused by that. Now let let's 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 talk about that backing up scene, shall we? <laughs> just just for a brief moment. Let's try and keep it shorter than the actual scene itself. But let's talk about it. I just. This is something uh, I guess uh, I guess I'll bring it up. The sensorites are bad aliens. Like I don't know, because like they're not bad guys, right? They're not like the right. Daleks. They're, yeah, they're they're a um, a pacifistic race, but they're also like really annoying, and I don't want I don't associate with them at all. So 
I would best describe the sensorites as soy boy cucks. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence. Many of the people commenting on my videos on my YouTube channel would also describe me as a soy boy cuck. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm a soy boy cuck too. I know one when I see one. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, there was a there was a moment where like the sensorites appear and because they're aliens, Ian like grabs a wrench and he like holds it up like super intimidating. He's like, don't get it. Don't you don't you come any closer. Don't you come any closer. And like they just start walking towards him. And then he starts backing up. He just backs up and they walk towards him and he just keeps holding up the wrench like, don't, don't, don't you, don't you take another step. And then they walk a little bit further and like. And then sometimes he'll do that kind of like fake lunge at them and they go. Ah. Yeah. Just like keep walking forward. Yeah. He, he like faints an attack and it, they prove that they, they are very easily uh, afraid. And then he just keeps backing up and they walk forward. And this goes on for like a solid five it's minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. And then he locks the door and he's like, well, now what do we do? Uh, the best part is like he goes to lock the door and he's like doing his like little hand waving thing. And they're just standing there watching him do it. Yeah. No, that was this is this was rough. Uh, brutally horrible. Yeah. And then eventually the sensorites get onto the bridge or no. They they telepathically tell Susan like, "Hey, you gotta come with us, so we're gonna kill your friends." And then right. she like, opens the door, and they're there. There's a certain point. I'm not sure when. I might my. Uh, I think I have things mixed up here. But there's a certain point at which the doctor like interacts with the sensorites. They're like in the hall or something, and he talks to them because yeah. this this is when he notices the eyes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's when he notices the eyes are like super dilated. Yeah. And what do they say? Do they say they want? All of oh yeah, because they they come on and they're like, we want you to come live with us. <laughs> we'll take care of you, but you can't leave. And they're like, uh no, fuck that. Yeah, between between this and the whole them not and like originally like they keep pulling the shit back in. I kind of I kind of assumed that it was gonna go in this direction where the sensorites thought of the humans as pets. That would have been a better plot. <laughs> That's where I thought it was going. I thought the like they were not. They had no ill will towards the humans at all, but they find them fascinating. And so, like, they're keeping them as pets. And so, like, the humans leaving on the ship, but then being drawn back is, like, the equivalent of taking your dog out for a walk, but having to yank on the leash anytime he gets a little bit too far out. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. how I interpreted that. Again, no, that's not at all what happens. But, uh, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. But, yeah, so the episode ends with Susan being kidnapped, so to speak willingly kidnapped like she goes along with them willingly taken hostage yeah there you go that that's all i have to say about that episode there's not really a whole lot else to say it's the worst episode in the whole thing it's easily the worst episode in this arc (laughs) uh okay so i guess i'll move on to episode three then yeah hidden danger the doctor throws a hissy fit and doesn't let susan go when he pulls her away from them ian turns off the lights and the aliens stumble helplessly in the dark the Doctor and Susan have an argument about whether she is old enough to make her own decisions. The Sensorites come up with a new deal instead of killing everyone, and agree to bring half the party down to the, se- to the Sense Sphere to meet with the Sensorite Elder. The Sensorites agree to cure John, and they recount another human vessel that arrived many years ago. When the ship tried to leave, it exploded in the atmosphere, and the planet has been plagued by a mysterious illness ever since. 
The doctor agrees to help them find a cure for this plague. We also see a scene where the second elder and the city administrator disagree with the first elder in how to handle the humans. The city administrator wants to annihilate the travelers, but his plans are foiled by the second elder. After getting food and water, the group learn that the elders have their own unique water supply, but Ian drinks the common water before it arrives. After some conversation, Ian begins coughing and collapses on the floor. He has fallen ill with the sickness that has plagued the planet. Bam, bam, bam. So, at the beginning of this episode, it almost looks like Susan grows a spine. Just for like a brief second. At this point, I would have been like, okay, maybe Susan has changed. Because the doctor is like, no, you come back here, child. You come back here. And she's like, but they're not going to hurt me. I just, I need to go, grandfather. And he's like, no, you come back here now. And they like, back, go back and forth, back and forth. And she's just like, and then walks away from the sensorites and back to the doctor's side. And so like, ah, damn it, Susan, you almost had a spine there for a second. Darn. Oh, well, maybe next time. <laughs> I will say I do appreciate, I appreciate that scene. I appreciate the scene where they're like talking about it. Because uh, I do feel like there's actually some character development in the sense of like, we see the internal conflict between the two of them. And like, whereas most of the time, Susan does just kind of, whatever the doctor says yeah uh i do feel like there's some butting of heads now i'm like hmm, that might be interesting later yeah and i i'm i seem to recall at least one other episode where that does happen again so yeah at the beginning of the episode when they're discussing how they've all changed and susan is like have i and they're like oh yes i don't think that she had changed mm-hmm I think this episode is the episode where Susan finally gets some character development. I would agree with that. No, like this is like her changing. Journey. Yeah, she, she becomes just a little bit more defiant. I was a little frustrated with how the argument ended because while she has is clearly growing more defiant, she's not defiant yet because she mm -hmm. still kind of rolls over and takes it. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Ah, but fine. Well, it's a slow burn show. We'll take the character development slowly, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll see more of it. Hopefully. Doubtful, but... Doubtful, but hopefully. I think what I really like about this episode, though, is the fact that the doctor comes in and he's like, no, I'm not agreeing to this, and the censors just kind of take it. <laughs> yeah, the censors are like, well, we didn't really have a plan if you said no, so... We're, we're, uh, not, we're not gonna hurt you, so, like... All right. Okay. <laughs> like, let, let me pump out this, like, really dangerous thing I have. And then Ian turns off the lights and they're like, no. Yeah, I think uh, Soy Boy Cuck is probably the uh, surprisingly good descriptor <laughs> of the Sensorites. Because <laughs> they're, they're passive. They're passive to a fault. Like, yeah. Which we will definitely see later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and again, they don't even follow through on, like, what the plan was. So, like, Susan will come with us, or we'll kill everyone. And then later, they're like, all right, we'll bring half of you. <laughs> or we'll kill you for real this time. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know when, where, or what the context is, but there was an, a joke in Family Guy where someone was being tortured or being shot at or something, and they're like, they're like, stop! And the guy's like, uh, she said, stop, should I keep going? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it just it just feels like they could start. They're about to attack this ship, 
and they're like, "Don't do it!" And they're like, "Oh, oh, should should, should we not do it? I, I didn't that that never occurred to me." Um, um, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> whatever you say. Sure, You're in why charge. not? I was never really I was never really super on board with it anyway. So like, yeah, I, I guess I could go either way. Sure. So this is when is sandwich that Barbara is going on vacation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was just about to say. Um, this is the moment where Jacqueline, Jacqueline Hill has her bags just off screen um, <laughs> <laughs> because she's part of the uh, group that's staying behind the ship. And wouldn't you know it, the next couple of episodes focus entirely on the sense sphere. <laughs> <laughs> she's like she's like pushing down on the suitcases like it's really not fair that I have to stay here. <laughs> Clasp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the sense sphere, uh, designer Raymond Cusick uh, used almost exclusively curves, rounded curves, when designing the sets for the Sensorite City, because he felt that it would give it just a little bit more of an alien look and feel. There, there are very few right angles in the Sensorite City. Well, I certainly agree with that, because there's a lot of things where I'm like, that doesn't make any practical sense. Uh, so we get down to the sense sphere, and we meet the Elder. I don't know how, I don't know about you, Caleb. I really like the elder. I think he's good people, and he was probably my one of my favorite parts of this of this uh, arc. He was fine. Maybe I'm being xenophobic, but I hate all the sensorites. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny you say that because the reason that I like this I like the elder sensorite is that he's just like, well, you know, we've had some issues with humans in the past, but um. I I still I still uh, hold out a hand in peace and friendship to you. I'm hoping that we can work together so that we won't have the unfortunate incidents that we had with your people in the past, and we can move forward in a new era of peace and prosperity. And I just I I really really like sci-fi stories where peace is made with al- with the alien race. It's one of the reasons why Mass Effect is one of my favorite franchises of all time, because it's just a bunch of alien races living together in harmony. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a soy boy cuck, but I just really, really like that type of story. Don't you commit genocide in that game? Um. Oh, man. By the way, we're a real podcast now because we just went on a tangent. Hell yeah. But yes, peace is good. I think the first elder is fine because I mean, I don't know. He seems to be reasonable. He's like, hey, we don't know these people are bad. There's no reason to assume that. Let's see what they're all about. Maybe we can work together compared to the like, like cartoonishly evil city administrator. Yeah. He reveals to us that despite they're a pacifist city, they have a disintegrator. And not only do they have a disintegrator, they have a whole room dedicated to disintegrating things. <laughs> this is our kitchen. This is our living room. This is our dining room. This is our disintegrator rag room. This is our bathroom. But the, the city administrator is, oh, who's the who's the bad guy in Marco Polo? Tagana. Tagana. We're talking this level cartoonishly dumb and evil. It's, okay, I have some notes later, but I think <laughs> the administrator is just like a perfect combination of Tagana and shit i didn't stop sucking his dick last episode what well, it was tatoxel that was his name he's such a good combination of tagana and tatoxel for reasons that i will get into later <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was a bit right after uh, like ian drank the water and um th- he's like talking with the elder like they're all sitting down and they're discussing things where william russell like <clears throat> like started coughing and i could i honestly couldn't tell because anytime you see a cough 
on screen or if it's written down, it's significant. People don't cough in fiction unless there's a reason. And it's a, usually a big reason. But I thought that maybe William Russell actually just got something caught in his throat and they didn't want to cut. But no, it actually turns out, yes, it actually is significant to the plot. On that note, this moment is my favorite moment of like the whole, the whole arc for one reason. Okay. The doctor's talking to the elder. Ian starts coughing. Uh, and then and then Ian keeps coughing, keeps getting worse. And the doctor turns to him and he basically says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> We're trying to have a conversation, Chesterton. Keep it down. He's like, Ian, my boy, what is the matter with you? And it, I don't know. It's amazing because it just seems so annoying. <laughs> Continuing my theory that the doctor really does not care what's going on with you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you might be onto something there. So it's established that... At least a third of the sensorite population is like dying off because they're being poisoned. And they don't know why, for whatever reason, all of the elders are completely immune. Who knows? It's impossible to figure out. By the way, would you like some of this uh, water from my private stash of water that nobody in the, in the um, commoners can drink? And it's only the elders who drink it. Would you like some of this? Anyway, I wonder why it is that the <laughs> elders are the only ones not getting sick. This is the other reason I don't like the sensor eyes. It's because they're sword boy cucks, but they're also just really dumb. <laughs> their whole thing is that they're like super smart and psychic and they use their brains to communicate. But yeah, they're fucking stupid. And whatever they're not stupid about, they're sword boy cucks about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what we'll get on to later in the, later in the later episodes. But yeah, but like it's obvious it's the water. The doctor even he though he figures it out in like two minutes in the next episode, it's still too long. It's still too long to figure out. Yeah. I really don't have anything else to say about this episode. Uh, yeah, I was uh, gonna I say, think, speaking of which, let's let's roll on. Let's roll on. Episode four, a race against death. The doctor quickly concludes that the source of the illness is coming from the water supply and works to develop a cure. The city administrator does everything he can to stop this. Uh, because he's convinced that the travelers are trying to trick them into wiping out the species. Sensors have shit eyesight and can't tell, can't even tell each other apart. As evidence, when the city administrator takes, uh, kidnaps the second elder, takes his sash of office, and uses it to foil the group's plans. He shares the initial vial of the cure, hoping to prove that Ian is faking being sick. Susan gets Ian some of the treatment anyway, and both learn that the doctor has gone down to the aqueduct to learn the source of the illness. However, he is apparently in great danger because the aqueduct the aqueduct is the home to strange monsters. It's weird because I feel like the episodes I have with shorter descriptions actually have more that happen in them. Yeah. I just don't feel the need to say every single thing that happens because enough is happening where I feel like I have to summarize. There's enough there's enough juicy chunks in those ones that it feels like stories moving along, whereas in the really slow episodes, you feel like you have to fill in the gaps just to make it seem like something's happening. Mm-hmm. Because by and large, I actually kind of like this episode, so... Yeah. It's one of the better paced episodes. Again, even though uh, like it's established that the Sunstars have bad eyesight, but also apparently they have bad eyesight and actually can't tell each other apart at all. Yeah, because it's established in episode three, I think, that uh, the Sensorites have a cast system, so they don't have names. They just go by their position. Which, going back to the Bioware thing, is also how the Kuhn works in Dragon Age, but we're not going to get at that. 
otherwise they all look exactly the same. So the only way to tell them apart is by the markings that they have or like the clothing they wear to indicate what position they are in the caste system, which is why the elder is always just called the elder or they just call science. One of the scientists, they just call him scientist because that's who he is. That's what he is. So yeah, because he takes the, the second elder sash for all intents and purposes, that makes him the second elder. <laughs> I know. I, th- I think what I think the reason that, like it stands out to me is because he has a line where he's like, they can't tell who we are from far away. So if I'm wearing the sash from far away, it looks like I'm the second elder. And far away is like four inches from the person he's talking to. <laughs> yeah. So it probably wouldn't bother me that much if he did not specifically say that from far away it won't work. I have the note of God damn it, Carol. Because it doesn't even occur to the city administrator to use that plan, to, to use that the fact that they all look exactly the same to his advantage until Carol points it out to him that if it wasn't for your for your necklace or your sash, we wouldn't be able to tell you apart. And city administration is like, oh, yeah, that's true, isn't it? So I just made them note of God damn it, Carol. Everything that happens after this is your fault. Also, can we point out that, like, he, this guy ahead of ourselves, but especially in the next episode, the city administrator always acts really sus. Yeah, no, he's not subtle. Because he even says to Carol, I never even thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know. If I was listening to that, I'd be like, okay, so you're going to do something bad with that information. I'm also kind of surprised that Ian got poisoned from the water. I mean, presumably humans and sensorites have different biological makeup at the very least we know for a fact that they have a different cardiovascular system because they make the note that their heart is in the center of their chest this is true so why do the same things poison them yeah exactly that's that's something that occurred to me i was like why is Eden poisoned and if he is how do we know that this cure will work on him or how do we know it's going to work on him and also all the sensorites for that matter yeah exactly because even if we use ian as a test that's not proof that it'll work on a sensorite i don't know i don't know the doctor spends a good chunk of this episode doing science stuff which i i don't know i kind of liked yeah he's actually being being the doctor uh most of my notes have to do with um the, the city administrator yeah i have i have i have another one i'm sure that we're probably going to end up talking about the same thing so you go ahead no well, now i'm trying to recollect is like this is where all the episodes start to blur together to me so the latter half of all the stories always seem the one big block to me. Well, I'll tell you what my note is. The city, my note literally says the administrator is stupid. Because, first of all, he has absolutely no proof that Ian and the doctor are faking. This is entirely his own suspicion. Granted, a relatively valid one. He's he's the one member of the society that isn't passive to a fault. But that just makes him aggressive and racist to a fault. So he has absolutely no proof that Ian and the doctor are faking. And he's given the cure that was supposed to be for Ian. And then he just throws it on the ground and shatters it. Because once Ian doesn't die, it's proof that he was faking it. So that's a really stupid idea. He should hang on to the cure. Because on the one hand, yeah, Ian might be faking it. And if he doesn't die, that's proof. And that they're they're deceivers and they should be taken care of. But if Ian does die then that means the doctor wasn't faking it and the cure is genuine which means 
that now he can cure his people and he will be seen as a hero for curing the people or exposing the saboteurs. One of the two. It's at this point in the story where I thought that the city administrator was the one poisoning the water. Yeah, I kind of I kind of had that suspicion, too. Yeah, I had that suspicion the whole time. Then uh, obviously that ends up not being true, as we'll get into later. Spoilers. Yeah, I... I, I kind of thought the same thing because because destroying the cure just made absolutely no sense. Yeah, it, it really didn't. And then again, like, even though that's like, oh, he broke the cure. Susan's like, well, I went down to the lab and got another, another cure since the one we were supposed to get didn't come on time. <laughs> it's just that constant like up and down of the dramatic tension in the show. It drives me crazy. And just one tiny little side note. I think I feel like this episode has more soliloquies than any other episode yeah there's a lot of the same characters just talking to themselves it's a lot of just like i'm going to dramatically turn to the camera and say my thoughts now that's happened a lot in previous episodes but it seems like in this one this story arc particular it's really egregious yeah (laughs) particularly from like the city administrator i remember him doing it a lot so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the doctor does it a couple times too on the note of the doctor um just emphasizing again that uh the sensor has a soy boy cox who can't do anything so he goes down to the aqueduct right uh and he's like well i gotta figure it out and he's like he's like uh we can't come down here because the lights keep breaking when we try to put them in and he's like all right well i'm gonna go in and figure out what's going on and he's like i want to do that there's um scary monsters <laughs> and it's like scary what do you mean scary like are they big and he's like uh they make lots of noise. That that's a, that's another thing that we haven't brought up yet, but is but we probably should is that while the sensorites are super uh, sensitive to darkness, they're also super sensitive to noise, like loud noise. So like the doctor keeps raising his voice in anger, and they like cower away, which like same. But um, that's gonna come up. That's gonna come up later. <laughs> <laughs> it, the cuckery is literally in their DNA. <laughs> i want i want that on a t-shirt the cuckery <laughs> is literally in their dna so yeah they can't go down there because there's no light and there's something that makes really loud growls grrr <laughs> i do love the doctor in this moment because he's like okay well bye then i guess i'll do it myself because he just like holds up a flashlight says, he's like don't worry i got the, i got this cute little flashlight <laughs> what are they gonna do yell at me Although they're very British, so they call it a torch. I've got a torch! Which I did not realize that British people called flashlights torches until I started watching Doctor Who all those years ago. I don't think I realized until like two years ago, so you're ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's all I had to say about this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a better episode, but there's also like not that much to say about it because nothing is really all that dramatically happening. So yeah, the next episode is when it kind of starts to (laughs) fall apart. Episode 5, Kidnap. The doctor gets beat up by the monster, but that appears to be it. It has shredded his coat, but Ian and Susan find him well, well off otherwise. The doctor has discovered that someone is purposefully poisoning the water supply with deadly nightshade, but he doesn't know who. The city administrator forces the kidnapped second elder to get a key to the disintegrator from the first warrior. Posing as him, the city administrator arrives in the garden and retrieves the key. The doctor sees him and tries to chase after him to ask him questions. Back in the disintegrator room, a struggle breaks out and the second elder is killed, but not before he destroys the key. The city administrator tries to frame the doctor, but the plan fails spectacularly. He has promoted the second elder anyway, and immediately acts sus in the room where John is being cured. 
When he learns that Ian and the Doctor plan to return to the aqueduct, he ensures they are given broken weapons and false directions, hoping they will be killed in the waterway by the monsters. This is this is the city administrator's big Tagana episode. Uh, Caleb, this is you forgot one super super important thing. Oh no! This is episode five, titled "Kidnap." And in literally the last five seconds of the episode, Carol is kidnapped by the administrator. Oh, yes, of course. Carol's the episode is called Kidnapped, and no one is kidnapped until <laughs> literally the last moment of the episode. Hey, Mac, I don't even notice that about the naming conventions of the episodes, but that happens all the time, where either like the episode is only relevant for the first like 30 seconds, or like the last 30 seconds. Well, all all of the episode titles are always just like so vague where they talk about like a location that they're at or whatever. This is the first time where it's talking where the episode title is like so specific and it's like a kidnap. A kidnapping happens in this episode. You're like, okay. And you go through the entire episode and nothing's fucking happening, but like you blink and miss it at the very end, someone gets kidnapped. No, uh, I mean I mean, yes, it's true. Uh, it, it's a bad title because it's the very last second that happens. But it, it happens all the time in this show. Like in Marco Polo, they have like an episode called like The Painted Eyes or whatever. And that's when Susan gets her blood-curling scream about <laughs> the eyes moving on the wall. And then the next episode, and then the episode begins, and they're like, wow, that's really freaky. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love this episode <laughs> because the... The city administrator is so suspicious the whole fucking time, <laughs> relentlessly. It's just really funny because this is what I this is what I was talking about, where he's like a combination of Tagana and Tatoxel, where he comes up with all of these good evil plans. He's got the doctor and his companions in his clutches, and he's figured out how he's going to kill all of them. But something completely outside of his control takes that away from him and it's just it's almost hilarious just watching him like ha i've got you and then just something else entirely completely side sweeps his plan with nobody even realizing that an evil plan took place and so like his plans make sense for the most part i have a disintegrator ray i am going to kill them with it like it's straightforward it's not oh i cut the water bags kind of shit it's like no i have this gun and i'm gonna use it but then the gun breaks aha i've got the one and only vial of the cure now they won't be able to cure oh don't worry i've got this second bottle of the cure we'll use it on ian (laughs) (laughs) and there's a there's another one i'm i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because this happens in the next episode but he gives, he makes sure that Ian and the doctor have a wrong map and weapons that don't work. And he's just like, yes, my foolproof plan is coming to fruition. Those bumbling fools will never see through my cunning ruse. Hard cut to the doctor and Ian. Oh shit, doctor, it looks like the weapons are broken. Oh, forget that. This map is wrong. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's just kind of hilarious just how much he's, He's trying so hard, Caleb. I almost feel bad for him. He's trying so hard to be evil, and nothing's going his way. You kind of just want him to win. Just give it to him. Just a little bit. Just let him win a little. (laughs) The first part of the episode is dedicated to, you know, 
the second elder gets killed and the city administrator and the first warrior or whatever devise this scheme to frame the doctor for it. And they go, they go and they confront the first elder with everyone there. And the guy is like, I saw the doctor pull a strange machine from his coat. And Ian's like, what coat? The one that was destroyed? And it's like, oh, no. Because he's wearing his, he's wearing his cape right. now. Yes, he's wearing his cloak now. And then the guy's like, oh, wait, no, yes, it was his cloak. He was wearing a cloak for sure. And he's like, but he only just got that cloak. Yeah, it j- just like when... um. Just like in The Keys of Marinus, when that one lady is like, yes, I know you must be, you must be very um, troubled after getting that phone call from Susan. In this episode, it was like, he took an object out of his coat and killed him with it. I was just like, objection! (laughs) And Phoenix Wright music started playing in my head. (laughs) But then, I don't know, but then it gets weird. So the city administrator comes in with like, I have this testimony from this guy. And it goes wrong, and he... He's like, whoopsie doopsie, sorry about that. <laughs> and the first elders are like, oh, that's okay. Hey, do you want a job? <laughs> you seem like you have a good sense of character. I have another note that's just like, who could have possibly killed the second elder? Hmm, let me ask my new advisor who I just promoted to second elder. Perhaps he can shed some light on this. <laughs> there was just like a moment where the doctor is being framed for a murder he did not commit but Ian is basically speaking on his de- on his behalf and defending the doctor. And I just, I liked it. I liked the parallels because that exact same situation happened in Keys of Marinus, but in reverse. And I just thought it was neat. I have no other notes other than that. I just really liked it. All things considered, and you can see it more in this episode. Well, you've seen it a lot in the episodes, but yeah, there's like a bond forming between Ian and uh, the doctor. And they have, like, a playful antagonism at times. Yeah, more like just, like, gentle ribbing, yeah. Yeah, but when push comes to shove, they work together. And I do like that. I still think yeah. the doctor's trying to kill him a lot of times. But... <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep an eye out for it. <laughs> but now we have to get to my favorite moment of this episode. And I lied. This is my favorite moment of the entire arc. Okay. John, John is cured, right? And he's there talking. He's like, you know, now that I think about it, I did... I do kind of remember like two like some sensorites scheming and like you know plotting to work against us, and the city administrator and now the second elder is like, are they in this room? And <laughs> 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 it wouldn't it wouldn't be so amazing if everyone wasn't so weirded out by his interjections because <laughs> they're just like looking around at each other like. No, I don't think they're in this room. He's he's just like over in the corner, just like sharpening his axe. He's like, please tell me if there's anybody who might be considering killing you. We must stop them. I just, I just couldn't. I died. Otherwise, they might stab you in the back with a knife. Specifically, this knife that I'm holding right now. (laughs) He was just so he was just so suspicious. And the fact that they were they're like he leaves and they're like, that new second elder's kinda weird, right? <laughs> oh well. No, they're even like, no, like he there might be something up with him because he was being really weird with me. He might be the one that betrayed us, actually. I'm like, what if he just wasn't there? <laughs> oh, but yes, I'm okay. sorry. That, then my favorite part of the whole arc was that 
<laughs> no, that is, that is legitimately hilarious. I only have one more note about this episode. Very, very, very beginning, like the first couple of minutes of the episode. Caleb, I have a very important question for you. Uh-oh. Why does Nightshade grow on the scent sphere? I don't know. That's a good point. The fact that the doctor like picks up and he's like, hmm, yes, this um, is Nightshade. I can tell just by looking at it. So obviously it must be something he has seen before. I don't know, Mac. Why do they drink water? Why don't they drink like liquid mercury or something like that? How do they drink? It looks like they don't have mouths. Why does why does the cure work on Ian, even though they have different biologies? I don't know. <laughs> I actually okay. Now that I say it out loud, I do have a theory as to why Nightshade is growing there. But we'll get to that in the next episode. Yeah, I, I think the answer could easily be explained by the events of the next episode. This is going way back to the beginning of the episode, but I, I gotta bring it up. When the air quotes monster attacks him and just beats him and like rips his coat, why is that all that happens? Especially like knowing what the monster is. Why did they just tear his coat up? I don't know. It's a damn good question. When I was first there, I was like, okay, so obviously the city administrator has some sort of plot to poison the water. They've got sensorized act- but down there acting like monsters. So yeah, I can imagine like a sensorite with like scary claw things going, <coughs> yeah, and roughing up his coat. But the monsters are people, like humans. So why why didn't they? I don't know. Do more. I don't know. Let's 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 come back to this after we've after we've done the recap of the next episode. Yeah, let's recap the next episode. Episode six: A Desperate Venture. Barbara is on the planet now and quickly foils the worst kidnapping of all time. She and John decide to go into the tunnels to find Ian and the Doctor, with Susan psychically guiding them. In the aqueduct, Ian and the Doctor encounter the monsters, who are really just surviving members of the first human crew. They believe they are at war with the Sensorites. The Doctor convinces them that the war is over and they all head out of the tunnels. The crew are arrested by the Sensorites without incident. The main bad guy is de- uh, dealt with off-screen, and everyone is ready for their next adventure. Ian makes a remark about Maitland and his crew knowing where they're going, and the doctor takes offense to it, vowing to throw Ian off at the next stop. And that's it. That's my summary, because this is the fastest-paced episode, I think, of the whole show. This this was a very fast-paced episode. As, as you said, the city administrator is, like, arrested and taken care of off-screen, and it's kind of disappointing, kind of it's an anticlimax. super anticlimactic. And uh, while they kind of did a little bit of, like, foreshadowing about what the monsters might be like weirdly enough there probably should have been at least one more episode because they're like reveal 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 okay episodes over moving on <laughs> yeah no i i agree that seems to be a pattern with doctor who where the first one or two episodes is just so slow but then the second episode there the last episode is just like so fucking fast mm-hmm. and it just if it feels like it can just be spread out a little bit more evenly, you know? Yeah. So writers of the show in the past, take my notes. Stop yeah, focusing yeah. so much on the first two episodes. I focus way more on like the last, whatever you think the last episode is, it's actually two episodes. Whatever you think <laughs> the first two episodes are, it's actually one episode. Carol is kidnapped. And they essentially give her, and essentially hand everyone else a paper and like crown drawing being like, I went back to the ship. Everything is fine. She's kidnapped. And she's the... I don't think the administrator even has like a weapon. He might have a knife or or something. But she's just kind of like lying on the ground helpless with him just like looming over her. Now, Carol, 
I have a very complicated plan for you of how to subdue the administrator. It's very complex, so make sure to follow me on this. Scream. Just scream. Because the sensorites can't handle loud noises. And this is what I wanted to bring up. In the one fucking episode where Susan doesn't have a freakout, it's the one fucking episode <laughs> in which Susan would, it would be useful for Susan to have a freakout. Even when she's not being useless, she's somehow being useless in her non-uselessness. <laughs> How does she do that? Susan has a a scream that does just commit mass genocide. <laughs> Forget the poison, that'll kill off half the sensorite population. Fair point. It's funny, because like, they get the note, and Barbara's there, and she's like, well, obviously she's been kidnapped. Yeah, because you're right. It's just like very crudely drawn of just like, I went to the ship, written in crayon. <laughs> and Susan hands the elder this letter. He's like, would you mind reading this? And he's just like, certainly, since I've miraculously learned how to read English in the past couple of hours, I'd be happy to. The first few minutes of this episode are silly. I think you're, and as you said earlier, like, and then when we cut to Ian and the doctor, like, they immediately find out the city administrator's plan. They're like, well, these things are useless. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious how much he's just, like, evil monologuing to himself about how he's practically already won. And then it just cuts to them being like, ah, shit, our weapons are broken. And the map's wrong. Ah, man. And then episode takes a turn where it introduces a new villain and then almost immediately solves it. Yeah. At least in the Keys of Marinus, when it had the main villain in the last half of the last episode, at least his flunkies were established in the first one. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, and this was so, like, you find out that the monsters in the aqueduct are surviving members of the crew of the original ship that came. Which I thought was cool. Yeah, which would explain how the nightshade got there now that I, now that I said it out loud. Yeah, if they had like a botany lab or something on the ship. Yeah, and and how the doctor had kind of already suspected that the humans were still there. He's the one that discovered the nightshade. So it makes sense like that would be part of the puzzle for him of like, how did this nightshade get here? Because this was only grown on Earth. Mm -hmm. An earthling must have planted it here. Yeah, so that actually, that actually, my, one of my little nitpicky plot holes was actually filled in by that. But yeah, so they go, they have a weird meeting with, like, the captain who basically admits to sabotaging the ship and killing half the crew, and they've been at war with the sensorites ever since, and, uh, the, you guys being here must mean we won, right? And then he gets suspicious, and they're like, oh no, okay, no, everything is cool. But right before they, um, right before they interact, right up when they meet, the other humans, the stranded humans. Uh, Ian is just, there was a legitimately funny moment that I kind of, I kind of hope that it was improv between the two actors because Ian is like, something has moved up ahead of us. And since their weapons are busted, the doctor rolls up the map and hands it to Ian. <laughs> like, a, like a weapon. It's like, what are you going to do? Whap him up upside the head and say bad dog. Like, it was just a really funny moment of Ian just being, like, super serious of, like, something's up ahead. And the doctor just rolls up the map and, without even looking at him, just hands it to him. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. That is funny. I didn't notice that. So Carol escaped. I don't remember how, but Carol managed to escape. And she didn't tell anyone. Like, she's talking to people in the next scene. I feel like the moment she escaped, she would have been like, It's the second elder. 
He used to be the administrator. He is behind everything. But like, she's just casually chatting. Maybe she forgot. Maybe she's like, ah, I can't tell these guys apart. I think he might have been wearing a sash, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you all look the same with your weird beards. I don't know. I'm drunk. Go away. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, that's a good point. They don't bring it up. There is there is a nice moment where, because the elder calls Susan human, and Susan is like, oh, I'm not human. I'm from I'm from a different planet. They kind of discuss it a little bit, and she just gets like super nostalgic, and she describes how the the sky is a burnt orange, and how the 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 trees have leaves of silver, and in the morning they reflect beautifully off of it. And she's just like wistfully, and it's like one day we'll go back there, one day. And it's just, it's another moment where Susan is just being like, I want a home. I want, I want to go home. I'm, I don't want to travel anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's kind of been her arc the whole time. So yeah, those are, those are the moments of the show I do appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I don't cover them in my notes. There's, there's moments where Susan has really good moments. It's just that they are bookended by both of my ears bleeding. Which is unfortunate. Except the one time where it would have been useful. Except for the one fucking time when it would have been useful. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they meet with the they meet with the commander. They kind of convince him and his crew to come out of the tunnels. The sensorites arrest them basically without incident. Like the two first two crew members walk out, and the sensorites are like, "Halt!" or "We'll we'll blast you." We mean it. And they're like, "Okay," and they just drop their spears. <laughs> And then they, they do stun the commander, but I don't know. It seems weird that there was, like, no conflict whatsoever. Yeah, it was very it was very quickly wrapped up. At least they were taken care of on screen as opposed to the administrator. Yeah, no joke, because, like, uh, after they're all back in the city, um, the doctor's talking to the first elder, and they're like, ah, yes, the second elder, he will be dealt with. And we're like, okay, well, that, that that's it. <laughs> the yeah. mission accomplished. Very disappointing. Does not have nearly the same uh, resonance that the end of the Aztecs did. So, yeah, I did like that the that finding the survivors of the spacecraft. I think it's a good plot twist. No, I think it is. I just wish it had been like developed. Get, a little bit yeah, more. given given a little bit of time to breathe. Yeah, I I agree. There are clues throughout the episode to show that they are the ones behind it. As all good mysteries are. You can come up to that. You can come up with that conclusion yourself. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is confusing is a: why did they attack the doctor? And b: why did they just scratch him? I don't have an answer for that. Because <laughs> the next time they the, the next time they encounter the doctor, they're like, "Are you from Earth? Have they sent reinforcements finally?" Maybe it was just too dark. I don't know. It's dumb. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then the episode ends. Um, I do like the moment where Ian is like. When they're watching, like, Maitland and his crew take off. And Ian's like, well, at least they know where they're going. And the doctor's like, excuse me? What the fuck did you just say? How dare you? <laughs> I was like, yes, I know I don't know how to work my machine. That's basically the whole plot of the show. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you can fuck right off the next time we stop. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, all I had to say about that episode. Yeah, that's really all I had to say, too. Any the last minute trivia... Now, there wasn't really a whole lot of trivia in this episode. The Sensorites uh, are the inspiration for one of my favorite aliens in New Who. But other than that, don't really have a whole lot else to say. I mean, we already talked about how this 
the episode where Jaclyn Hill went on vacation. So, um, but uh, final thoughts. Yeah, they're pretty much the same. This is like really mad. There are some like genuinely hilarious moments, but overall, I don't really like this arc at all. So yeah, I, I liked it for the most part. It definitely had a bit of a slow start, and I kind of had to force my way through it. I don't think it really picked up until they got to the sense sphere. I think that's when the plot started. It felt like mm-hmm. I think just one episode of setup was pretty much on the ship was pretty much all I needed. Yeah, we got two and a half. As I said, I always like it when peace is made with alien species in science fiction. I'm a fan of that. I'm kind of back and forth on the administrator as a villain. He's really bad at his job, but like he's almost hilariously bad at it. So and he gosh darn it. He's giving it the old college try, and I have to admire that at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like I said, pretty much all my enjoyment of it is ironic, just, and mostly just in how hilarious the scenario administrator yeah. is. Um, but as we said at the beginning, in terms of ranking, I'm gonna I'm putting the Keys of Marinus, the Aztecs, and then the Sensorites, and then Marco Polo. Oh, God. I'm gonna put the Keys of Marinus, the Aztecs. Um, hmm... And I'm gonna, I'm still gonna put the Daleks at number three, and then the Sensorites. Uh, yeah, probably. But there's a, there's still a notable distance because I don't know, pacing wise, there's not actually that much different between the Daleks and the Sensorites. Mm-hmm. The Daleks is more meandery, but the Sensorites is also kind of dumb. Yeah. The Daleks also has Diani, and I'm not saying that's having an influence on it, but I am gonna note that is a distinction between the two. I mean, you know, plus side is a plus side. I'll never shut up about this hot blonde sci-fi chick from this one episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> All right, and that's it for this episode. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us about the show, you can find us on Twitter at, at @quicktripdw. And if you'd like to talk to us in general, you can find us at, at @macthema and at @clb underscore Clark. You can find this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and basically every other major uh, podcasting network, as well as on Mac's YouTube channel, which is also MacTheMa. Yes, and join us next time on our quick trip through space and time, in which we watch the season finale, such as it is, and the first story to be reconstructed with animation in The Reign of Terror. See, now I'm trying, now I'm thinking about Mass Effect. I'm like, I mean, join us on our next podcast where we talk about every side mission in Mass Effect. I could easily make that a podcast. <laughs> Caleb, you have no idea how much I want to do that podcast now. <laughs>